It's been a great morning already. Uh, if you're new around here, maybe you haven't been here in a couple weeks, we've been in a teaching called Beyond All, and we started out the year, started last Sunday with this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And even if you haven't jumped in yet, I want to encourage you to be part of it. You can start today. In fact, you should have gotten a little card on your way in that gives you sort of a prayer prompt uh, to go up throughout the week, and then you can sign up. That card has all the details when you sign up to get two texts per day as a reminder in the morning to pray, in the evening to pray. And the good news is we prayed a lot because by the middle of the week, that service finally started working. I don't know if y'all tracked with that or not, but uh, we uh, tested a bunch of different services. They all worked well. And then we had, I don't know, 600 plus people sign up for text messages. And when you send that many all at once, apparently AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile are like, you're sending spam. And so they they locked us up for a couple of days in digital uh, prison. So we're out of prison when it comes to that. And hopefully nobody edits that one little clip there. And yeah, it takes it out of context. So anyway, we, uh, we just love it to be able to start the year with prayer. And then we're encouraging as many people as possible to fast from lunch on Fridays and to use that prompt of hunger to say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to lean in, I'm going to read scripture. And so I want to encourage you to jump in, even if today's your first day on that. Uh, week one of January, Pastor Chuck talked about the idea of thirst and physically, when we're thirsty, that's the body's way of saying, hey, I'm dehydrated, get, some, get something inside of me. Well, spiritually, that happens as well. There's spiritual thirst and hunger that's a reminder to say, hey, uh, let's lean in and, and, and ask for God to do something. Then last week, Pastor Chuck and I tag team, and we talked about the idea of control all and what? Delete like that reset that we need in our lives. And we, what we talked about is two ways Jesus taught us to reset is through prayer, where we connect with God and fasting, where we disconnect from the world. Uh, next week, Pastor Chuck and I are gonna tag team on how do you build prayer into your life? It's gonna be super practical. If you've been praying a long, long time, I think it'll encourage you if you're new to prayer and you're like, I don't even know how to shape that in my life. Next week's gonna be so practical. I wanna encourage you to be back for that. And then February 5th, uh, just as a little snapshot, we have a baptism class coming up. There's been a lot of folks that have trusted Jesus over the last weeks and months, and we want to invite you to attend this baptism class as a way of learning more about why it is, what it is, and how to take that next step. But we end this month with what we call Rock Sunday. Rock Sunday, if you've been around here, is such a powerful day in the life of our church where we ask God, God, is there a word that you want to use to filter my life this year? Is there, some, is there some word that you want me to build my life on? And some, in years past, my word has been built. Sometimes it's been established. I'm working on, I'm praying for God's word for this year. But here's one word I do not encourage you to have on your rock this year. You have a lot of words. You could have a lot of great words on your rock. But here's one word I don't want you to have on your, war, on your rock. No, not that one, but that's probably not a good one too. It's the word Ichabod. Ichabod. This morning, what I want to do is I want to take an Old Testament story and sort of tell it to you because this is a story that honestly God used in my life probably 20 years ago or so when I first heard a pastor preach on it. Pastor Louis Giglio preached on it, and it's the first time I heard it. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then this week, I've been looking at probably 10 or 12 different resources. And the reason why I said the word Ichabod and sort of let it hang there is because that was the word that described the nation of Israel. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 4, the nation of Israel had wandered away from God. In 1 Samuel 4, the nation of Israel had drifted from God. They were supposed to be the light of God among the world. They were supposed to be the city of God that pointed people to the God of the universe. And what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4 is they had drifted from him. And so what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4 is they went into battle against their enemy. They went into battle against the Philistines. So you remember David, Goliath, that same clan. This is before David and Goliath. So this is when the Philistines are still fighting them. The Philistines are trying to defeat them. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the nation of Israel was losing this war against their enemy. And so two of the spiritual leaders in 1 Samuel 4, these two guys named Hophni and Phinehas, their dad was Eli, the high priest guy. Well, these two supposedly, quote unquote, spiritual leaders in the middle of the battle while they're losing the battle, they come up with what they think is a great idea. They're like, hey, let's go and get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to battle. And we pause there for a second. I don't know if you're familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you remember Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, a few of you. Um, So that's sort of what the movie's about. The Ark was a box that was about two feet by four feet. It had angels on each end sort of looking in. Inside the box were some important relics for the nation of Israel, the actual Ten Commandments, the, the stones that they were engraved on, the rod that Aaron's brother Aaron used that God changed at one point. Jars of manna, the bread that they would eat when they were wandering in the wilderness. So there's these amazing things inside of it that has this lid on it with the angels. It's decked out in gold, but the significance of that box is that's where God would meet with his people. This is the Old Testament before Jesus has come. This is the Old Testament before the Holy Spirit lived inside of people. This box represented God's presence. But the problem is they're in battle and instead of God being their first resort, he was their last resort. You see the problem there? Where Hophni and Phinehas, instead of going to God first saying, God, would you lead us? Instead, in the middle of losing this battle, they said, we don't know how we're gonna win this battle. Let's go get the box. And the problem is they put more faith in the box than they did in God. And they lost the battle that day. In fact, what ends up happening is it says in verse 10, 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. Hophni and Phinehas died that day. And so this, this battle goes on. They think, man, we'll bring the box. Maybe the box will save us. They lose the battle. 30,000 men die in battle. Hophni and Phinehas die that day. And the worst news is the enemy got the ark of God. And so this messenger rushes away from the battle scene and the messenger runs back to the city. And when he runs back to the city, Eli, the dad of these two guys is outside the city waiting. Hey, what's the news? Have we won the battle? What's going on? And this messenger says to Eli, you're not gonna believe this today. Not only did we lose the battle today, not only did 30,000 men die in battle, but your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they died in battle. And the worst news is this, the enemy got the ark of God, the representation of the presence of God. And the Bible says that Eli was so overwhelmed by that news that he literally fell backwards in his chair, broke his neck, and died. Think about that. 
The messenger goes on into the city and the messenger comes up to Phineas's wife who is pregnant and she's, she's very far along in her pregnancy and he says to her, you're not gonna believe this. We lost the battle. 30,000 people died in battle. Your husband, your brother-in-law, your, your father-in-law are now all dead. And the worst news is they got the ark. The enemy has the ark. And the Bible says that she was so overwhelmed and distraught by the fact that the, the ark of God was, was captured by the enemy that she went into labor early and she gave birth to a son. She died shortly after after delivery, but she named her son Ichabod, which literally means the glory of God is gone. The glory of God's nowhere to be found. I mean, they could still go through the motions. They could still say, hey, we're Israel. We're, we're God's chosen people. They could say all that on the outside, but on the inside, the presence of God was disconnected from the people of God. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you're in a season like that. I know this is a dramatic story, but I don't know if you've ever been in a season like that where, where maybe you still came to church, but on the inside, you felt disconnected. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those seasons where, man, I'm gonna try to pray, but it feels like my prayers don't make it past the ceiling. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those seasons where you just feel irritable and, and you're going off and you're losing your temper because you, there's this disconnect going on inside of you. And so if week one was thirst and last week was reset, today I want us to think about how do we reconnect with God? What do you do? If you're somebody that feels like, man, I'm disconnected, they're static, I, I feel like I've drifted. If you, if you feel like there's something missing, how do you reconnect? Well, there's three sort of big ideas that I wanna give you <clears throat> that come out of the story. And the first one is this, number one, if we're gonna reconnect with God, it starts with number one, an awareness of God's holiness. Awareness of God's holiness. So here's what happens. The enemy gets the Ark of the Covenant. And guess what the enemy does? The enemy celebrates. They're like, woohoo, we got it, right? The enemy's thinking, man, we got their symbol of their God. Obviously, we've defeated them. We're stronger than them. And so what they did is they took the Ark of God and they went on the Philistine tour with the Ark. Basically, they're going from city to city, from place to place saying, look, we got the Ark, we got the Ark, we got the Ark. The problem is everywhere they took the Ark, bad things happened. One of the places they took the ark was a place called Ashdod. When they got to the city of Ashdod, the city of Ashdod had a false god called Dagon. And so Dagon had this temple. Dagon was this giant statue that looked imposing. And so as a way of saying our God Dagon is bigger than the Israelites God who's in this box, they put the ark of God in front of their false god Dagon. They're like, this proves our God is bigger than their God. Well, they clock out for the day and they go home. The problem is when they come in the next day, guess what? Their stone statue of Dagon is face down before the Ark of the Covenant. Think about that. They start scratching their heads. They're like, I don't know what happened. I mean, I don't know, was there a tremble last night? I mean, did Georgia win and everybody went crazy? I mean, living Bible version, but close enough. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
We, we, we don't know what happened, but here's what we do know. It's not gonna happen again. So they called in all the Dagon lifters and they hoisted him back up and they put him back into place. They clock out for the second day, they go home. The next day they come back and this time, not only is Dagon face down before the ark of God, but this time his head has been cut off, his hands have been cut off. And finally they start waking up and beginning to say, maybe their God is actually bigger than ours. Are you tracking with me? And so the Ashdodites are like, we need to get rid of this thing. And so they send it to the next city called Gath. The problem is when the ark gets to Gath, everybody starts breaking out with tumors and boils and all of this weird skin stuff going on. And so they're like, hey, let's get rid of the ark. So they send it to Ekron. It gets to the city of Ekron. Same thing happens, boils and, and tumors and all of this stuff. And finally, they get one big clue that their God is holy and he's different. He cannot be managed he cannot be used. He cannot be manipulated. When we say that God is holy, what we're saying is, he, is he's totally separate than us. He's totally other than us. There's no sin. There's, there's no darkness inside of him. And so every one of these pictures is a reminder of the holiness of God. And so you imagine that. Dagon face down two times in a row. Tumors, pestilence, boils. Finally, they come up with this big idea. Maybe we should give the ark back. Thank you very much. And so they arrange to meet the nation of Israel out in a field called Beth Shemesh. And so they show up with the ark on a cart. They roll it to the nation of Israel in the middle of this field. And even though God had said, never touch the ark, even though God said, never look inside the ark, one of the guys that day decided, hey, I know you guys are giving us the cart back, but my guess is you've taken the Ten Commandments, the right of Aaron, the manna, you've done something to it, so I'm just gonna take a little peek. And the Bible says that 50,070 men died that day. And so instead of bringing the ark back, they left at a guy's house whose name is Abinadab. These names keep rolling, don't they? I don't recommend Abinadab as being the next name that you name a son or a grandson. But get this. Depending on what research you do, Abinadab's house was about seven, maybe 13 miles away from Jerusalem. So at Abinadab's house is the Ark of God. At Abinadab's house is the symbol of the presence of God. It's just a few miles away from the city of God. It's just a few miles down the road. It's sort of like going to Stone Mountain or maybe to Lake Lanier. It's just a few miles away. And for 20 years, they allowed the presence of God to be seven miles away. And they were okay with it. And I think sometimes that's why 21 days is so powerful Sometimes we grow numb. Sometimes we've drifted so far that we know that God has a presence and that God wants to do something in our lives. But sometimes we're like the nation of Israel where we're okay with them being a little farther away until David shows up. When David finally becomes king, he has some victories. 
And David comes up with this great idea. He's like, I want to get the ark of God back to the people of God. I want the ark of God to be in the city of God. I want it to be obvious that God's here. And so in 2 Samuel, David begins to gather people. And in chapter 6, they go out to Abinadab's house. And David says, well, how do we move this thing? And somebody says, well, the Philistines, they, they picked up the, the, the ark and they put it on a cart. And so David says, all right, that's what we're going to do. We're going to build a brand new cart. We're going to put it on the cart. Here's the problem. One once they start rolling it out of Abinadab's house, they start rolling it along. It goes across a threshold. The ark begins to shake. And even though God said never touch the ark, Abinadab's son Uzzah says, hey, I'm going to reach out and hold it. And when he does it, he dies on the spot. And the Bible says that David was afraid of the Lord that day. And David was angry. I think he was angry at himself. And so if we want to reconnect, it starts with this awareness of the holiness of God, that God is God. God's in charge. God's the one on the throne. I heard a pastor say years ago, if you want to get along with God, then stay off his throne. And I thought, man, that's a good, good advice. But then number two, if we want to reconnect, we've got to adjust to the ways of God. We've got to adjust to the ways of God. And so David had the right heart. He, he wanted to do the right thing. I want to get God's presence back. The problem is he was doing it the wrong way. He was asking the question, how did everybody else do it? Well, they did it on a cart, even though God had told them. When they built this ark, on both sides of the ark, I want you to put rings. And then I want you to slide poles through it. Because every time you move the ark, guess what? You're supposed to move it on poles. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you and me. We're like, what's the deal with poles? But everything that God gave specific instruction for was pointing. It was foreshadowing to the holiness and the person of Jesus. And so here's David trying to do it his own way. And God says, when you move the ark, move it on poles, do it my way. And sometimes in our lives, when we get to a new year, we try to come up with new strategies. And we try to come up with new plans. Man, I, I want this year to be the best year ever. Here, here's what I'm going to do. And I think sometimes God looks down and he says, look, I've already told you how to live. I've already given you instruction. I've already given you the principles to live by. You don't need new ones. You just got to get some poles in your life. Does that make sense? I don't know what those are for you and you don't know what those are for me, but to say, man, I want to reconnect with God. It starts with, man, God's holy. He's different. Number two, I adjust my life to the ways of God. And then number three, it awakens, it awakens a passion for God inside of us. You know what happens? David finally asked the priest, how am I supposed to move it? And so they quote from 1 Chronicles 15. They remind him about the poles. This time David goes back and he's like, all right, we're going to go to the place we left it. They left it at a guy's house named Obed-Edom. They show up at his house. David hears that God's been blessing him. So David shows back up. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. This time we're going to move it on poles. So they slide the poles in. Can you imagine if you're the four guys that were picked to hold those poles? Can you imagine what that must have been like? This is like Old Testament fear factor or whatever. 
All right, you four, come over here. You're going to pick up the ark. Awesome. So the Bible says they took one step, and I'm just reading into it, but I'm imagining them thinking, just pausing, so far so good. They take two steps. Hey, are you still alive? Am I alive? Somebody pinched me. They take three steps, and they're doing well. Look what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 6. It says in verse 12, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and he brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. Verse 13, after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone how many steps? Six steps. After they got step one, we're still alive. Step two, I'm still here. Step three, so far I'm better than Uzzah and all of those other people. Step four, they went six steps. And after six steps, they were so overwhelmed by the presence of God that God was there, one, that he hadn't killed them, but that two, man, they were sensing the, the presence of God that after just six steps, they stopped where they were. They put everything down and they worshiped God. Just after six steps. I don't know about you, but I've been more than six steps today. I've been more than six steps this week. Sometimes we get sort of caught up in our own little heads that we keep tracking along without stopping to realize, I need to stop and say, thank you, God. And what erupted that day was this incredible passion for God. In fact, it says David broke out and he danced in the streets. Now, you don't want to see me dance. It's kind of awkward. But David was so uninhibited that he could not help but to express passion for God. God gives all of us passion. And we may express it differently, but God places passion inside of all of us. And the goal of that passion is for us to take that passion and release it back to him. But if we're not careful... What ends up happening is we take that passion that's meant for God and we give it away to our workplaces and we give it away to our hobbies and we give it away to our travel and we give it away to our kids' sports and we give it away to the worries of the world. And if we're not careful, we've given our passion to everything and everybody else except the one that it belongs to. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves passionless. And one of the things that our team's been praying for is that out of all the things in 2023, that this would be a year that God increases the spiritual temperature of our hearts personally and as a church so that we can't help but to stop and to say, thank you, God. And so I want to encourage you, if you felt disconnected, Man, if it feels like you're isolated and lonely and you're trying to make it happen yourself, start with this awareness of who God is. God, you're bigger than me. God, your ways are higher than my ways. Number two, start adjusting. God, if there, are there any areas of my life that are out of alignment, out of sync with you? And begin to adjust. God, would you help me? God, would you help me? That as he does, and your heart comes back alive, to as best as you can, don't wait 16 steps or 60 steps. 
to stop at just six and say, thank you, God. In fact, I want to invite you to bow your heads for a moment. I'm going to invite you to join me in a a moment of prayer. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you, for many of you that have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, to participate in the Lord's Supper today. It's significant. Well, even in its name, the Lord's Supper means that it's the, the meal that Jesus had with his disciples before going to the cross. Some people call it communion because it represents we can have a relationship with God himself. Some people call it the Eucharist, which talks about Christ in us. But what's so significant about it is the two symbols within it, the bread and the juice represent the body and the blood of Jesus. That when Jesus came to this earth, he lived a perfect sinless life. That when he went to the cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed, it was not for his own sin, it was for my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. And that because he came back to life three days later, he was able to give forgiveness of sin to anybody that would ask him. So if you're a believer today, I'd encourage you just to do a little heart check today. Jesus, is there anything that's out of alignment today? Jesus, is there anything that would get in the way of me having communion with you? And if he shows anything to you, just confess that. Confession is when we agree with God with what he says about our sin. God, I confess, I turn from it. Doesn't mean we're perfect. If you're not a believer, maybe today's the day that you wanna take that step of faith, that when we put our faith where Jesus put our sins on the cross, when we say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you're alive. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me save me. It's not the words of a prayer that changes anything. It's the attitude of our hearts. Jesus, I need you. And if that's you, man, I'd encourage you to drop us a note, hello at sugarhillchurch.com or speak to me or any of our ushers afterwards. We'd love to help you with that next step. But today, if you've put your faith in Jesus, this table's open to you. In fact, if you don't mind, would you very quietly, very reverently stand? And if you'd like to participate in the Lord's Supper today, I just invite you even now to start making your way to one of the closest tables to you. There's some here in the front. There's some in the back. And if you will, just pick these up and bring them back to your seat and remain standing and we'll, we'll observe this together. These little containers just are symbols. That's all they are. There's something that points us to something bigger. If you hold the top, uh, the part that has the bread in it up first, the bread is a symbol of the body of Christ. Jesus at that last supper took the, 
the bread of the Passover and said, this is my body that's broken for you. In fact, if you want to go ahead and peel back that first layer on the bread, the Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 26, that while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Heavenly Father, we pause and we say thank you for the sacrifice you made. Thank you that you're willing to die on the cross for our sins. It costs you so much. We give thanks in Jesus' name. If you'd like to, flip it over with the juice facing up and just peel back that layer. Juice representing the blood of Jesus that when we sing songs that talk about what can wash away our sins, it's not meant to be morbid or crazy. It's this reminder that Jesus shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus said this in Matthew 26, verse 27. It says, then he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, thank you that forgiveness is possible in you. Father, help us never to take it for granted in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, I'm gonna have the team sing us out of the room today. But before I do, I just wanna invite you to be part of what God's doing here this week. If you're physically able, I wanna encourage you to come to midweek this Wednesday night in the chapel at 6.30, it's from 6.30 to about 7.20 or so. We had an incredible time this last week, but it's a time of a little bit of worship, a little bit of teaching around prayer. And then this week we'll have stations for prayer. So I wanna encourage you to be part of that. If you haven't signed up for the text reminders, be sure to do that. You can do it from the card that you have in your hand today or from the website, 21 days. So go to sugarhill.church slash 21 days and you can find all the resources there. You can find the childcare link for Wednesday night. You can find the weekday podcast, but we're so encouraged by what God's doing among us. Uh, don't forget out in the lobby, you can find out about groups and all the ways to get connected. But before we go, let's lift this song up. It comes right from Psalm 84. Instead of me just doing anything, God says, man, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than be anywhere else. Let's sing this out and then Zach, if you'll dismiss us from there. We love you guys. We're so grateful to be able to worship with you today. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. Thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your place. Thousands elsewhere. Oh, better is one day. Father, today as we, uh, as we head out from this place, we uh, acknowledge you as God. Go before us and make our path straight. Would you guide us and lead us? 
May we carry a song of praise with us as we go. Knowing that with you we have everything that we need. It's in the matchless, powerful, alive, and present name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We'll see you next week. See you on Wednesday.